is morality objective or subjective? And how do we justify our answer? We discuss this and more with special guest Dr. Zach Schmall on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, culture critic, easygoing moralist, and with me as always is my enigmatically ethical co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and uh, what whatever the opposite of what you just said was. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes, it's a, 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 what, what would that be? A self-righteous relativist. Exactly. <laughs> Perfectly me. <laughs> and with us today is a very special returning guest. He has a PhD in humanities from Faulkner University and is an adjunct faculty member at both Houston Christian University and Southeastern University. He is the author of Disability and the Problem of Evil and was the founding editor of An Unexpected Journal. He is the Zaftig, the Zephyrus, the Zuti, Zachary D. Schmoll. Zach, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much, guys. It's a pleasure to be back with both of you. Thank you. Yes, I I had to pull out the the really obscure Z adjectives for your name this time because there are not that many, and I used up all the others last time we were here. I can only be zealous so many times, and then it's <laughs> yes. over. Yes. <laughs> oh well. Anyway, we're really happy to have Zach on because we're going to be talking about the question: Is morality subjective or objective? But. Good old classic, you know, meat and potatoes, philosophy, theology question, going back to our, our roots. I am Groot. Uh, but before we do, very excited about that, but before we do, um, Nathan, if people enjoy our conversation and want to uh, engage more with our content and meet fellow overthinkers like themselves and like Zach, where can they go? They can go to the overthinkersjournal.com where they can find out more about their hosts and send us all of their love and hate mail. They can also join... 14,000 plus uh, overthinkers like themselves Fine. who are getting to great discussions and enjoying tons of very intellectual memes on the private Facebook group, Overthinkers. We'd love to have you among our ranks, so head on over. And if you do enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving a review or sharing with a friend. It really does help so very much. Awesome. And it's objectively moral that you do it. It's objective. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you don't, you go. are objectively wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there you have it. Okay. Guess we know what side you're coming out on, on Nathan, of this discussion. Um, yeah, as long as immorality served me, I'm fine with objective morality. That's pretty much everybody, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Everybody ready to get started? Let's do it. Great. According to Merriam-Webster, morality is conformity to ideals of right human conduct. Morality, or ethics, is the idea that there is a right way, a way people should behave, and a wrong way, a way that humans should not behave. But whether or not human conduct can truly be right or wrong, or if that's something that is merely determined by individuals or society, has been debated for about as long as human beings have been debating such things. As the Encyclopedia of Philosophy points out in its article on moral relativism, Greek philosophers were well aware of the fact that there were large differences of opinion between what was right and wrong in their own day, which led to some, like Sextus Empiricus, to express skepticism that we could ever truly know what was truly right or wrong. But most people have an intuitive sense that morality is objective and real, so agreed with philosophers like Plato who thought that 
through human reason we could discern and agree upon right and wrong objectively. Or Christian philosophers after him, like Aquinas, who believed that human reason was capable of discerning right and wrong, but added that it needed the assistance of divine revelation. In the West, it wasn't until the modern period when sociologists like William Graham Summer and anthropologists like Franz Boas, uh, seeing the diverse range of thriving cultures with morals and values different to Western ones, that the idea that morality might not exist but might really be human constructs really took off. Since then, most people have continued to believe that there's some kind of moral absolutes, things people ought not to do, such as slavery and genocide. Yet, after these uh, thinkers became popular, most people had a difficult time articulating why. Dr. Zach, do you believe that morality is objective or subjective? If it's objective, why is there such disagreement about what is ethical? If it is subjective, then why do nearly all people so intuitively insist that morality is objective? Yeah, so I'm going to solve this whole problem in the next five minutes. So, cool. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like. <laughs> no, but I, so I, I do hold that morality is objective, um, which I suppose isn't surprising to anyone knowing my background. <laughs> um, but your, your question about then why is there so much of a um, kind of a diversity of opinions on these issues? I, I think one. One might start with the fact that people are oftentimes very comfortable looking for ways to justify what they want to do. So on one level, um, I may want something to be right because I really want to do it. Um, as we all know, um, sometimes you can kind of uh, train your mind to believe something. So even though, as you mentioned in the intro, Maybe there are certain intuitions that we have. Um, yeah. And I mean, people like C.S. Lewis and the abolition of man, a lot of people will cite um, a lot of ancient traditions, right? That have similar moral uh, tenets at their center. Um, but over time, with enough um, justification, perhaps, um, we begin to have to lose. Um, we begin to kind of lose our our foundation. We begin to do more of what we want. And um, I, I think that may be where some of it starts from, that um, what feels right and wrong isn't always consistent with what I want to do. And there we have a conflict. That's really interesting. I like that because I've noticed, and this is just anecdotally, that people seem to believe in subjective uh, morality when it comes to what they desire to do, who they want to sleep with, how they want to treat someone, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to how they're being treated by other people, then they start holding to this kind of objective moral standard wh where it's, no, there is a right and wrong and you shouldn't do this to me. Yeah. But you know, the, the idea of subjective morality is definitely, we talked about this a million times with the new atheists and all that, but it definitely is something that came it has been debated for for hundreds and hundreds maybe even a thousand years but it's something that definitely has come into the mainstream culture um i would say in the past maybe three four or five decades especially when you have these new atheists and i remember watching the debate with sam harris and Wenling craig and he was talking about how morality is subjective but we can kind of get to a cultural understanding right. of uh of morality based on okay oh, remember the phrase he uses uh you you guys might remember but it's, it's human flourishing. That's right. Yes. Uh, so basically human flourishing. 
And I always thought that was interesting because I, I can see the reason why people want to believe in subjective moral morality, because it means that we can't just hold people to strange standards arbitrarily. But really, as Zach was pointing out, that it really means I get to do what I want. You don't get to tell me not to. Uh, but the problem with Sam Harris's, I always found the Sam Harris's assertion that we can kind of create the societal understanding of morality uh, that's not based on anything foundationally, just it, it's um, uh, a human flourishing is what he puts out. And he kind of believes that you can come to a, a, whole, a holistic understanding of morality based on human flourishing is, well, you know, I think a lot of the people who have done the most egregious things throughout history have flourished really well by doing <laughs> terrible things meaning you know if i kill everyone in my apartment building please don't call the cops on me people sure. that means i have way more room to flourish and i have a lot more rooms to hang out in um, <laughs> but so i think that's a poor um i think it's a poor reasoning and maybe that's a poor uh, rebuttal but i think it's a poor reasoning for how we come to a a consensus on objective morality and, you know, this the idea of subjective morality also popped up when we stopped believing, we started walking away from uh, God as a culture. As we see the church attendance drop, as we see people becoming less and less religious, uh, we see that people are less and less inclined to believe in an objective morality. But they that's in, philosophically, they might say yeah. this, but here's the thing, every day as you watch the news, as you read the articles, what do you see? You see people be getting canceled for uh, behavior that we say this falls outside of the acceptable social norm. You see right. people um, uh, saying you have to treat this person or this group with this kind of, we have to make up for past sins, all these different kinds of things. And so it's interesting to watch uh, this idea of, um, yeah, those are the same people who talk about, well, my truth is my, my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. And we can't really say anything objectively. So it's interesting that this is one of those subjects where I don't see this often, but most people in society who say they believe one thing actually yeah. act completely differently when they put it into practice. Yeah, and well. so that's the really fascinating thing about this question <laughs> is that most of culture right now says that morality is subjective, yet they act as if it's completely objective, um, especially when it, it, it centers around them and how people treat them. So that's just an interesting sociological look into what is going on, even beyond the question of is morality subjective or objective? Why does everyone say now, say that it's totally subjective, we can make it up as we go along, your truth, et cetera, et cetera, and then totally act as if there's a moral foundation uh, that's coded into to reality that we all must abide by. So that's an interesting thing. I don't know what it is, but I'll get into more of, of why I think morality is actually objective and why I think it's dangerous to assume it's subjective. Um, but the, the, socio the cultural understanding and practice right now is really interesting to me. Yeah, no, I I agree. The that's what's fascinating about it to me because like usually in these conversations we're having this debate where it's like okay, there's one side that believes this, and there's another side that believes this. And what's fascinating about is that in our culture right now, there's really nobody who actually believes that morality is completely subjective. I mean, again, like you just said, I mean, okay, we're just you know uh, we're just talking before this uh, podcast about the writers' strike in Hollywood, and I'm on Twitter the whole time, and everybody's saying. These people with all this money are not are being immoral by not paying us a certain amount of money. I mean, the amount of moral and again, I'm not saying that they're wrong, but again, these are the same people who don't believe who who believe that only facts are objective. That you know that only uh, you know what two plus two equals four is objective, but things that could be moral obligations, values, and things like that. 
can't be. They don't have a philosophical foundation for it. That's the thing is we have all of these very strong moral beliefs, but no logical philosophical framework to justify them. And that's the sort of fascinating, that's the Alistair, someone who wrote After Virtue. I see people are going to jump on me for forgetting his there, there you go. Yes. He talked about that as, as, as something that's happening to society as, you know, we, we have all these intuitions about right and wrong, but we've taken away the philosophical foundations. So now we're just left with kind of feelings, moral feelings run amok that we can't agree on what to base them on. And it's the thing is, I mean, I will, I will typically, I've had conversations with people who believe that morality is subjective. And I, I one of the most fascinating things about those conversations is um, at is I mean, I'll, I'll typically ask them, so was slavery wrong before our society decided it was wrong or is it wrong only after we decided it was wrong as a society? And of course, that usually gets them where they're kind of, well, I have to say that it was wrong, always wrong, even before we determined collectively that it was wrong. Inherently. Yeah, it was the inherent. It was always wrong. Even when everyone said it was right, it was still wrong. And of course, but the thing is, and so and nobody will go there, but still somehow, even though we don't have any philosophical foundation for it, we all believe it. And so I guess two questions sort of for you, Zach. Um, why is it that we have this philosophical, ethical schizophrenia? <laughs> um, and what do you think is a proper justification for morality, objective morality existing? Why do you believe it does? Yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting to mention that. And I I wonder, your your example about slavery is a really um, important one because you're right. Uh, you, the objectivists would say, no, it was always wrong, right? Not just yep. because we feel it, not just because... Um, and even on like smaller issues in our lives, right? People will be um, maybe very, like have emotions that go in one way at one time. And all of a sudden now you've changed your mind and you uh, you are angry about something, but then later you're happy about it. Um, and the issue hasn't changed, right? But you've changed um, <clears throat> and your perspective has changed. And so I think, I think a lot of why we have this kind of what dual-sided approach um, is because we, well, to to hear off the podcast, we don't take time to think. We don't overthink anything. We don't yeah. actually bother coming to a deeper um, understanding of things. We don't reflect on things. As we don't reflect on things, we're left with only emotion. When emotion drives everything, um, again, I'm coming back to uh, C.S. Lewis, right? And uh, the abolition of man. And, you know, he's talking about the chest kind of men without chests, right? Right. Kind of the moderating between the intellect and the emotion. Uh, But we have people who are all emotion um, and maybe not taking the time to overthink about anything. Um, Now he's proud of that placement. If, (laughs) Uh, we, that's that's why we have you on because you do a good yeah, plug for our podcast. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. but, but I think right we've divorced the head from like the appetites. We're driven a lot more by appetite, um, and I mean appetite can mean any any desire. Um, yeah, and, and so to your next question, that kind of leads into uh, what what is an appropriate grounding for morality if it's objective. 
Now, I mean, if it's objective, it can't be based in you or me because it existed before you and me. Um, and Horrible. it will exist after you and me. So it, it can't start there. Um, it, it can't be determined. Some have made the argument, Sam Harris, I believe, makes this argument. Um, yeah, that kind of, um, like nature has a way of working this out to your point about human flourishing. Mm, um, yeah. What is right is what leads to flourishing. Um, and you would apply that on kind of the, even the biological level, if you sure. wanted to. Um, so some people have made that argument. Um, again, you do kind of run into the, the why question, because at the root of that is why is existence better than non-existence? Why should uh, life have thrived on earth? Uh, rather than not thrive. Again, you're left with a why question that's outside of the realm um, that it's able to answer. Um, and, I mean, the, the normal apologetics answer is that you need a moral law giver. You need someone to provide the law um, that is like capable and in a position um in a position to of like moral supremacy to be able to know what is right and wrong because obviously all of us do right and wrong things all the time. Uh, I don't know what's always morally perfect. I can't always. I mean, you know, I've I've Neither said I. I shouldn't have. I've hurt people. Yeah, you know, we've all been there. Yeah, um, we can't I all be perfect like Nathan. Yes. I know. Yeah, I know. I was saying, I don't <laughs> week I've been talking about. I'm. I had no morality, and I, I acted out every single day perfectly. So. You, you exactly. could just couple of spinners over here. Oh, ha, shop! <laughs> so I, I think, right, you have to somehow, if you're going to ground objective morality, if, if we're taking that position, which I do, it has to be grounded somewhere outside of humanity, somewhere outside of nature. Um, and, I mean, the, the only thing that really logically makes sense is a moral lawgiver, which... We call God. Um, yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's, I, oh, sorry. I want to, no, no, I was going to say, I want to sort of, I want to walk through people sort of through that, that argument you made, because I think it's really important because you're right. It, it, if, it, if it is objective, you know, and everyone seems to have an intuition that it is, or at least they demand the other people treat it as it is when it becomes to giving them something they want, you know, and, uh, if we're going to do that, it has to transcend, you know, you or me. And of course, but then you say, typically what, what a lot of people like, you know, Sam Harris, who wants to, or Jordan Peterson, who wants to sort of believe in an objective morality without believing in a God, try to go to nature. Okay. Nature, um, has certain rules that you have to follow in order to survive and thrive, you know? And so if we can figure out what those are, then we can say, what they say, okay, well, this is what we all have to do if we want to survive and thrive. But you, what you're pointing out, and this is what I want people to actually really pay attention to and understand, is that's moving the goalpost because that's assuming that we want to survive and thrive. And not only that we want to, but that we should want to. Because we're talking that, about yeah, that we should survive and thrive. Exactly, that we should survive and thrive. Because that's, and that's, a, um, because whenever we're talking about ethics, we're talking about shoulds, not, well, this is what we want. And so this is how we get it. It's, we should want this and should, and 
it, there's nothing in nature that tells you um, that should. And so you're saying well, even the yeah, Sam right, Harris yes. is based on, you know, he talks about human flourishing. Um, what's to say that humans are more valuable than moles? Uh, right. And, you know, uh -huh. There is no outside force saying that human flourishing is the most important thing with inside uh, the universe. And that should be prioritized above anything else flourishing. Excellent so point. Say human flourishing is prioritizing a particular species flourishing above and others. And meaning for humans to flourish, we have to eat other animals. And we have to plow land, yeah. do all this. And there are actually people who say, actually, humans should die out because the world should just exist. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this took place it, because it was um, no one thought about the consequences of removing God from society. I think we were all very excited, as Dr. Zach pointed mm -hmm. out, we were all very excited to say, okay, God's gone. You know, dad, we got rid of dad. So now <laughs> we can do whatever we want. The problem <laughs> is when you live in a place where we can all do whatever you want, people will do whatever they want to you and then we go where's dad because he so, I so are you I'm, saying all of modern modernity is just an, the, the movie of home alone pretty, pretty much <laughs> i mean we all wanted to do what we wanted to so wow. we were super excited to be like all right god's out dad's out of the house um but i don't think we reckoned with the consequence of saying okay, now we don't have any kind of objective morality. So what you see is you see all these different groups and factions in culture, be it, you know, the social justice warriors who have created their own kind of morality about certain issues and come up with their own framework. And then you have the new atheists who have the human flourishing, they try to argue scientifically. And then you have the nihilists who say, well, there is no morality at all, but you probably shouldn't do this kind of stuff. But they, they don't have any reason why you shouldn't. And if you do, you know, whatever. Um, well, and that, so that's the... No, so I have all these different people coming up with different moralities, but none of them are tied to anything central and none of, the thing are, none of them are tied to anything universal. So I think all of this is just kind of the reckoning with what happens when you get rid of God. Well, that, that's right. the thing is that. Oh, sorry. You go. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, sorry. I was just going to say, you're right. If, if there's no universal, there's no like measuring stick to tell what's better than anything else. Like, yeah. You can say, okay, we are closer to right or we are further away from right. Um, as we move towards, you know, some ideal, right? We know that yep. we're doing hopefully better um, than, you know, we were before. Hopefully, um, although sadly, I think oftentimes we're doing worse. But I, I do think there's a very important, like, without a belief in objective morality, you can't even say anything is better than anything else. You've lost all vocabulary to say, like loving someone is better than hating them even though we all know that and we all feel that and we all feel a lot better when we're being loved than when we're being hated uh, or loving someone is better than eating them right yep. and, and you can't without objective morality of some form you can't say that it, it's well, a choice that any human makes relative to you and that's it well and, and one and of the most I, 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 just real quick yeah, i'll let you no, jump yeah. into myself one of the most interesting things to me was um, it was always interesting when, when I would watch these debates about objective versus subjective morality between atheists and Christians, one of the things that the, the atheist would always bring up inevitably, which, which is a good arguing too, I think, is look at all the terrible things that Christians have done throughout the centuries. Isn't it terrible that uh -huh. they, they did this or killed this? But to do that, to call the actions of these Christians terrible, they have to appeal to some sort of morality. 
and on their right. own so they actually have to borrow morality from Christianity to call Christianity bad which I always thought was an interesting thing because in their worldview you really can't call it bad you can just say it that's what happened it makes uh, me sad you know yeah it, it maybe it's critical of us but you can't call it bad so it's interesting how many people borrow from Christianity the 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 tenets of morality of you should be nice and stuff but don't actually want to give the grounding to why those tenants exist well, at all. And it's even, I would say it's even worse than that because it's not just um, borrowing the uh, philosophical justification for morality from something like Christianity, because Christianity actually has a sort of an intellectual credibility to say, well, you know, there's a moral lawgiver, you know, but it's actually, bar it's actually culturally appropriating the morality that Christians specifically invented in the you know, such as, yeah. you know, you don't throw your children in the trash if they're not, you know, if they're not, um, if they're not if the kind of children you want, you know, that's, that's something that was commonplace in ancient Rome. And, you know, and then Christians said, no, you can't, that's, that's not good. And so, and also I mean, human rights was kind of a Christian idea. It, yeah. And well, the, that... um, the idea, uh, the secular historians talk about this. I learned this sort of secular world history class, um, was that you know uh, both Christianity and Mahayana Buddhism in, sort of introduced the idea of compassion as a high value in society into the world to say okay these people are weak and therefore that means we should take care of them you know or they're suffering and we should alleviate them and so of course they say well these are all self-evident absolutes but they weren't historically they were introduced and yet we all look at it now and say oh yeah of course this is yeah. obvious in the same way that you know, you can, you know, the laws of thermodynamics seem obvious to us now that we've discovered them, but beforehand, nobody knew about them. And yeah. so, so that's, so I guess, you know, what I, I kind of get your perspective, Zach, a couple things, you know, um, why is it that, you know, well, I guess why, what, what is, what are the problems now that with, what are some other problems now that we're we're divorced sort of morality from a um, from a, a philosophical underpinning? We discussed discuss some of those, but how do we make a case for them again that's actually persuasive? Because again, you know, people like you've been in the apologetics world a long time, like actually in a professional capacity. You know, Nathan and I have been in an amateur capacity and and, oh. and, and for a long time. But I feel like I should be dated at this point. Right? <laughs> I feel like, I think it's objectively moral that we should be paid. Yeah. But, um, but we've been making this case for a long time. You know, apologetics people have been making this case for a long time, that there's no real good philosophical justification for this and uh, without this. And, and again, I'll even say this, I add this to the conversation, which is that um, one of, some of my, my married female friends have talked about what they love about having God and God's standards in a marriage is the fact that it never becomes about one spouse dominating the other, or at least there's a place because it's like, okay, it's either I'm going to get my way or I'm going to get my way. It's like, no, we're both going to submit to God's way. So that way our deciding factor of what we're going to go is not based on dominance of one of either party. And we've taken that away from society. So it's like, okay, it's just my group's moral values versus your group's moral values and whoever's can get their um their side to win uh gets to impose their moral might values on other right. people exactly it really does become might makes right um but 
we have not been able to persuade people to go back to sort of that moral standard. Um, and I, I, even though we've made this same argument, you know, I say we, but anybody sort of in the apologetics world, you know, um, for, for decades, um, I guess, why hasn't it worked? And what would be a way that you think actually would be persuasive to people? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's the million dollar question for sure. But to your point about, you know, what, what else, um, what else is suffering, right? As a result of this kind of divorcing from objective morality? Um, to your first question, I mean, is it any is it any surprise that it seems like just about any issue can become polarizing to a degree that like friendships break up, family want to talk to each other? I mean, is it any shock that we see this more and more, which leads to consequent loneliness? Because if I if I feel a certain way. And we're all unique. Everyone's unique. And so I can't find someone who is my carbon copy out there because no one is. Right. Well, I, but I, I, I have to, I'm going to inevitably come into conflict with everybody else because no one is exactly the same as me. Um, and I can't appeal to any higher standard to say, no, you know, my way is right or recognize that I was wrong and their way is right. Um, there's no higher standard for me to appeal to. All I have left is, again, back to what I want, what I feel. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, there's no real way to reconcile that other than, as you both pointed out, might makes right. If I yell louder, if I win, like, whatever majority I need, you know, at my company or in the government or whatever. Um, I, and, but again, even when you take that, because now you're idealizing majority rule, right? You're idealizing, right? Which again is a fine thing. I'm not, um, I'm not bashing like you know voting and you know doing what works for. Zach wants monarchy, everyone. Uh, That's I mean, what... I wasn't kind of saying it out loud, but you know, um, there's a foreign nation. No, but um, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, it it is a fundamental flaw. Um, because you still have, let's say, 49 people who are super mad, and why are they mad? Um, they don't feel like, um, again, it's an emotional response. They feel like they have been somehow personally slighted, as opposed to um, at least recognizing that, okay, the majority rule is an objective good. Again, you can't even make that an objective good if you yeah. deny subjectivity. Um, and so anyway, um, to your next question though, which is a tough one, why, why has our message not been effective and why do we have a hard time communicating it? But I, I think one reason it's not been effective is because our, well, okay, I can only, I've only lived in the West, um, but I, I certainly think that choice is one of our, if not our key value, our Man. most valued, um, like our most valued uh, quality is choice. We want choice of everything all the time. Could I interest you in everything all of the time? A little bit of everything all of the time. Um, so it's really threatening when you tell me that, yeah, you know, there might be some standard outside of me. So I think that's one thing we're attacking 
um, what may be one of the most central Western yep. values is choice and self-determination. I mean, even uh-huh. at, you know, some of our great stories um, that came out of, you know, like the 60s, where you really start to do this flourish, what, what's on the road, right? Everyone on this adventure of mm-hmm. my own choosing. Um, mm-hmm. you, you see these stories coming out of, I mean, I don't want to just bash the 60s, but you really see it start to come out yeah. around that era. The value of choice really emerged. Um, even, I mean, even the modern invention of the teenager, right? It wasn't really a thing for yes. most of human history. Um, but now you have the middle-aged people who are old enough to like, make choices, and they have a little disposable income. And now we should market <laughs> to them, and we want to get their money. Um, yeah, and so you, by the end, what are we appealing to? We're appealing to relatively immature people who have money, and we want them to make choices. Like, again, it's all about you being this like independent teenager, the self-determining. That's really yeah. good. You can see cultural pressures pushing us towards if you don't have the choice, if you have to answer to anyone, if there's any authority. It's an existential threat to the authentic you. Um, yeah, and you can't yeah. be you if someone's telling you what to do. And authenticity, I mean, how many like influencer videos talk about being authentic? Authentic. Right? It's yep. a buzzword. But yes. again, I'm being like oppressed if I can't be me. Um, but not to get too theological right now, but what are we apart from God? We're sinful people. And so. That's the problem. When you run into objective morality, me being me does not line up well with what God says is right and wrong. That's, I think that's, you hit the nail on the head. I think there's a big value, and I'm not even saying it's entirely a bad value, of self-determination. I get yeah. to create mm-hmm. myself. I get to decide who I am, mm-hmm. what I do. And so I think everyone likes the idea of there being morality, especially when it comes to how their tribe or they themselves are treated by other people. No one wants to have their things uh, stolen yeah. or, or be assaulted or anything right. like that. But at the end of the day, we want to decide what we do. And yeah. that kind of goes back to, you know, I, again, I hate to get theological, but back to the garden, which yeah. is I want to decide my own destiny, my own, uh, the, it's the tree of good and evil. I would like to be in power. I would like to be in the seat of yeah. God, decide what is right and wrong. And as you said, Dr. Zach, it was to, to imagine, to tell someone in the West who wants to decide everything for them, that there's an outside force that has already decided what is right or wrong, feels very constraining and it feels almost oppressive. And it feels like, well, that would make it so I can't be what, I can't do what I want to do and I can't be who I want to be. And so that's a real unpopular thing. But I think it goes back to ultimately all of us humans are grappling with this. Are we going to let God be God or do we want to be God, be the masters of our own lives, sit on the throne of our own heart? We've heard a million times before. And so I think we live in a culture right now that is very confused because we've talked about it's gone back and forth and we want objective morality, but we don't want objective morality. Well, this is right, but don't tell me what to do. Um, We like the benefits of it, but not when it comes to us. I I think it goes back to just this kind of core issue of do we each get to decide who we are and what's right and wrong, or are we going to ascend to something outside of us that has told us who we are and what is right and wrong? And I think right now, I think people... We want to, and I think this has always been the case with humans. We we would like to decide and sit on the throne of reality of about ourselves and decide who we are and what we do and what is right. But the problem is when everyone's doing that, you, you live in a worse world. 
because there is no standard by which we have to treat each other and live by. And so it's comes these two things come in conflict. And I think we're seeing that play out right now in culture is I don't want anyone telling me what to do, but how in the world do we get everyone to do the right thing? Quote, Ooh. you know, wheel of morality, turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lesson that we should learn. And that's it's, really good. It's really difficult. And I think it's causing a lot of people to have identity crises and moral crises because we don't want, I'm repeating myself, but we, it's going back to what exactly you said, Dr. Zach, is we don't want people telling us what to do. Um, but at the same time, we want an ordered world. What do we do? So I'll, this is my last thing I'll say is, yes, the reason um, I believe objective morality exists is because we need it. And, there he is. Uh, yeah. and the only way objective morality can exist is with God. So even Nietzsche, if you go back and read his writings, yep. I'm trying to suffer through his writings right now. <laughs> really oh, is a suffer. For your prayers but, on, on your way to you. Yes. Thank you. But it's crazy because Nietzsche was a an atheistic um, a philosopher, and he even noted if we get rid of religion, if we get rid of God, this is going to be bad because everyone will start acting the way they want to. And have you ever met a human who does what they want? They're terrible people. And that means all of us, I mean. Yeah. We're all terrible people and doing what we want That's, really leads to destructive places. I think you you guys have really hit I like uh, hit on this what you said we we you know we believe in morality because we need it. And the reason that we need it is because it is the only thing that prevents might makes right from it existing, yeah. which is not a world that anybody can bear to live in long term or can flourish in long term. So for some reason, we keep running up against the fact that it's not possible for any of us to get the things we want without acting like this thing that behind and underneath the 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 you know rocks and trees and stuff of the universe. You know, uh, a rock can't put moral obligations on you, but somehow reality can. And so reality is more like a person than or it is a rock. And um, the, um, you know, the the Greeks called that the logos of the universe, and of course Christians call it Jesus, call him Jesus. Sorry, you know, <laughs> moving from metaphor to metaphor. <laughs> um, but um, but we but we we can't flourish it without acting like reality is more like a person that can give us moral obligations than it is like not, or at least what's behind it. And um, because again, we we but we want to act like a god with other people because that's how we can get other things we want we don't want them to act like a god to us because that prevents us from getting the things we want and there could be only are, one god and we would all it, like to be that one god. and we all like to be that yeah exactly but that's the thing is i'm always talking to you know on the, in these podcasts we live in a world with other people um yeah and so you know you are kind of in this position where again like you have people you know you you listen to and you're they're like you know well, I don't believe in God, but we have to like act as if he's true anyway. And it's like, yeah. okay, just take one more step, guys. Um, but the 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 issue, sort of, as you you talk about this, I think the difference about today, because you you both point out, human beings have always been this way. But the difference about today is we actually can act that way a lot more than we used to be able to. We can move away from our parents into the city. We can buy a whole bunch of things through capitalism. We can change jobs. We can, we actually can look at other people and say, 
you know what? You're oppressing me, so I'm just going to leave. Your expectations on me, living in community with me, and I can go and I can choose my other friends, or I can choose friends online, or things like that. So we're in this kind of, and you talk, Dr. Zach, about, you know, teenage years. We are kind of on this binge drinking phase of having so many more choices than we've ever had. And maybe that's just it, is that, you know, the apologists are just happen to be doing their work during an era where everybody's on a binge drink of getting to choose their own morality and just have to keep doing what they're doing until the hangover comes, you know, and starts to say, okay, you know, this doesn't work. There are limits to this working. Like you said, Nathan, not all self-determination is bad. It's just that there are limits to it. We're treating it like it's unlimited right now. So maybe once we start to, you know, the check starts to come due, maybe people will be more susceptible to some of these discussions we're having. The bill comes due. Uh -huh. And real quick, and then I'm going to throw it to Dr. Zach to wrap us up. But no one actually believes that Mike makes right. I, I know that's yep. a popular thing within philosophy. But if you look at every movie, it's yeah. like the, the great hero tells, be it Star Wars or Avengers or Lord of the Rings, it's all about the majority of the universe is doing yep. something terrible. And the one person says, this isn't right. Um, and it's you know, usually the small one, the weak one, the hobbit, because, the yes. orphan. <laughs> and so all the universe says one thing, you know, all the bad guys who are now everybody. But the one person says, this isn't right. But we believe them. We always believe that hero because there is some objective thing that they have seen and they know. And so they fight the evil. And so and all these tales are still so popular because we all ultimately deep down we believe in objective morality we believe that there is a yeah. morality beneath the universe um that that there is a right even if everyone in the universe except for this one luke skywalker um uh doesn't follow it so ultimately we all want to believe in a, objective morality there is objective morality we just don't like when it comes to the stuff we we want to do <laughs> yeah. so that being said dr zach wrap wrap us up to someone who is thinking about these issues of objective and subjective morality is confused by them what would be the direction you would say to move in uh, that they can move towards in a greater understanding, a greater peace, maybe about morality, about how they should act, about how what they should believe and how it will affect how they see the world? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, your, your point about stories was right on because I, I said one first step, obviously, I think is to as we've been talking about today, first of all, recognize um, it's very uncomfortable um, when might makes right, when oh. um, when we all want our own way. It, it's very obvious, um, even to a room of like preschoolers, that that <laughs> is not going to work and it doesn't happen. So I think that's a good first place to start. Then once you've established that, okay, everybody can't be right well, and we, we never even got into this, but sometimes you and I might believe entirely contradictory things. So yeah. it simply can't be true that you and I are both, like, let, let's say I believe that, um, you know, lying is okay if it benefits me, and you all believe that lying is evil all the time. I, I mean, they're logically contradictory. <laughs> yeah. um, so we have to be able to account for that somehow. Um, so from that point, then saying, okay, it's not ideal that everyone does their own thing. It doesn't even make logical sense that everyone does their own thing. Now we have to start filtering, okay, is something better or worse? 
um, is if it can't be true that it's always right to lie and it's never right to lie. If those both can't be true, um, very few people will deny logic. Even if they deny morality, they won't. They'll acknowledge like contradictions can't be simultaneously true. Um, from there, uh, then I think you can say, well, okay, if one is better than the other, we must be measuring towards something. But for one to be better than the other, it must must be closer to something. We haven't even defined what that something is yet. But even the existence of the something that you're closer to implies a moral objective. And now you have to say, okay, what worldview makes the most sense of these elements? What worldview kind of makes the most sense of reality? What, um, you know, what teachings are the most consistent um, well, internally consistent, but also experientially consistent with a good life, the kind of life that humans ought to live. Um, so, I mean, I think that's maybe the first few steps of the courage is to recognize a few basic things and then realize, okay, we all have something, like we all have, there's a scale of better and worse. And now the mission is to find out what that scale is. Um, but even the existence of the scale implies that morality is objective. Um, and then at least you've gotten out of subjectivism, which is better than being in subjectivism. And I, I love that. I, that. I think that's a really great move towards the ideal and discover what the ideal it is, is we just happen to think that ideal is God. But uh, <laughs> but I think we can all recognize that there is an ideal when it comes to better or worse. And so follow that logical train of thought and you just might end up as a good old fashioned Jesus freak. <laughs> yes, join us. We have cookies. Um, well, they're more like crackers. This is true. This is true. We'll wait for us. Yeah. 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 Some places, some places have little like slices of bread, like a little bread that you break off. I always like that better, but we can do, yeah, we can do a whole podcast on how to, (laughs) on communion. Anyway, well, thank you very much, Dr. Zach. This has been really a lot of fun. Now we're on to the blesses and curses segment where we take a work of art, media, or resource that we want to recommend, i.e. bless, or to want to um, diss, i.e. curse. So, um, Dr. Zach, would you like to go a first or last in this uh, or this uh, ring around the rosy here? Uh, I'll go first, if y'all don't mind. Uh-huh. Not at all. Um, so, blessing. Um, well, okay, one very minor bless that I just have to mention. It's obviously the abolition of man. We talked oh, about a lot today. No, that that's not my real bless. You can do that one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my, my real bless is a little bit more obscure. But it's um, it's actually one specific part of GHS Duchenne's orthodoxy. Ooh, um, nice. And I thought of it actually while you all were talking about how um, who Chesterton gives an illustration of a bunch of children playing on top of a hill, and Chesterton's illustration basically is the wall around the hill prevents you from falling off into oblivion. So. The, the thing yeah. is, the boundary is absolutely for your benefit. Um, yeah, and I'm not doing it justice as well as he wrote it, um, but it's in orthodoxy, and I highly recommend it. Very many people it, can do justice to how Chesterton says things. Exactly. And I, I have a, a dear friend who loves Chesterton, and I really want to commission her 
I was choosing artists to paint it for me because it's yeah. so telling of um, what we're, we're absolutely safer within the boundaries than when we go into this relativistic chaos, we're going to hurt other people and we're going to be hurt. And actually the boundaries, like I think Joseph, you said it, are actually for our benefit. Like these are yeah. actually rules yeah. that will, um, that help us deal with other people. And I was like, yeah. I think that's my blessing is, um, and then I don't have a page number for you on orthodoxy. You can but, just bless all of orthodoxy. It's a pretty yeah, solid just, just read it's a good book. I'll always bless <laughs> Chesterton. I love that man. Um, yep. Um, so my curse is, I, I just finished reading it tonight. Um, but Ooh, I think I yeah, know what you're going to do. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, some of my Facebook friends know this, but, um, uh, so Rain Wilson, AKA Dwight Fruit, just published a book on wow. spirituality. I've um, heard about this. So yeah, no good. Soul, it's called Soul Boom. And, okay, I don't want to totally diss it because I applaud that he's actually thinking about spirituality uh, and he's trying to figure this out. So yeah. I don't want to entirely diss him, um, but I will say philosophically, a lot of what we were talking about tonight of trying to make contradictory worldviews aligned into some like happy yeah. uni religion is very questionable at best and not in the style um where we recognize like similarities in moral hoods. Like Joseph right. your intro talked about. It's not quite like that. It's more along the lines of well, why don't we all just be nice to each other and espouse this set of values, pretend that all the religions are basically the same. Yep. And mm -hmm. smash them into oh it's okay if you're Christian or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist. And there's Buddhist no Baha'i. Um, yeah. it, it's all kind of the same if we, because we agree on certain things. It's like, yeah, we do agree on certain things, but you're kind of brushing off the differences. So I suppose yeah. that would be my what, first. What everybody really likes is a white guy telling a whole bunch of people <laughs> all over the world, you know, we all are basically the same. And you should just all agree with me. Uh -huh. well, yeah. You know, I saw this book, and I love The Office, and I'm like, I have to buy it, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, again, philosophically, I appreciate his intent. I get what he's trying to do to, like, bring people together. But the way he was about it philosophically is very, very, very um, problematic, shall we say. It's not going to actually help solve the problem because right. it's... Well, yeah. and let's... Hey, I, I agree with you that um i re actually really do appreciate that he you know that he's thinking and talking about these things he, yeah. he doesn't have to you know that that's a big deal yeah but you know maybe don't get your theology slash <laughs> from dwight fruit i'm just saying <laughs> by the way Hugh josh's office fan love rain wilson yeah uh, but i i would are you maybe you know go to the go to the pros like exactly. Dr. <laughs> yeah, yeah there is something to you can read somebody who's a non-expert on a topic but just recognize that, <laughs> <laughs> that, he, that he, <laughs> recognize where you're going so yeah no fair, fair that's fair that's fair good and good on you for for um for uh, uh taking sticking that uh making that point um okay uh uh nathan you are your next sure um uh, Dr. Zach, you were very kind in letting me bless the <laughs> of man. Uh, it is 
So I'm going to list two books by Lewis. One is an introductory. If these are all new themes for you yeah. and this is kind of like you're just stepping into those waters of thinking about these questions. One, no shame. Welcome. These are fun waters and they're oh, yeah. worthy waters to swim in. Um, <laughs> so absolutely jump in. And the place I jump in, if you want to jump into Lewis, is mere Christianity. I yeah. think it's oh, yeah. a great basic understanding and introduction to these these concepts about uh, morality. And there's a lot more in there too, but especially in the opening chapters, he really yeah. explores well and introduces well the idea of why we why there needs to be an objective morality. So mere Christianity is a fantastic <laughs> place to start. Um, I'd also, if you want to go further and you want to scratch your head a bunch and go, what in the <laughs> world is he saying? And, and then have someone like Dr. Zach Schmall or Dr. Michael Ward explain it to you, <laughs> go read Abolition of Man. Evolution mm -hmm. of Man is a fantastic, I, would, I don't know about, about continuation, but th there is a continuation aspect where these themes are uh -huh. explored even more deeply philosophical um, ways uh, of talking. It will, it is something you're going to have to, uh, it's a short book, but you really chew through. Yeah. There's a lot here, but I'm also blessed After Humanity. It's a book by Dr. Michael Ward, uh -huh. uh, the show, uh, who walks you through it in a really, really beautiful way. And that helps you understand these great themes. So read Abolition of Man and read After Humanity with it. Um, yep. So I'm going to bless both of those Lewis books and the Dr. Michael Ward book. Um, I'm going to curse. This is, I guess, too easy. I feel bad. We should have him on the show if he'd ever reply to write emails. But I'm going to curse. <laughs> um, I think it's called The Moral Landscape by Sam, Sam Harris. Yeah. The guy super smart, obviously. Yeah. Way smarter than me in so many ways. Um, but I think when you were talking earlier uh, before we started, about how sometimes you hear these really intelligent people yeah. and you, it's almost unbelievable when you hear them talking to subjects so unintelligently. And yeah. the, to me, the argument he makes for, I think the subtitles like um, something about, can we make a, a, a morality out of science? Can science yeah. Yeah. form a morality? And it's like, no, no, it can't. And the arguments yeah. that he uses to try to explain and create morality without the usage of God or a deity or an outside mm -hmm. force um, outside natural force to me are just so thin and um, underwhelming. And yes. I'm, I've always been a little surprised at how such an intelligent man could be satisfied with such a, to me, a thin and unintelligent, I would even argue, argument. So I, I got to curse that book. I know it was an attempt to, you know, if he, he was one of the guys who helped get rid of God in, in modern yeah. society. So he has to come back and write a book about, no, no, we, we can still, you know, not hurt <laughs> yeah. each other. And, uh, but I just didn't find it to be a very compelling argument. Um, so I, I gotta, I gotta dog. I, I will say, because Hard this say. is one of my principles that I say is that this is, it's, this is why it's not a, a, a slam on Sam Harris is because the thing is, if somebody, even somebody as smart as him can't make a, the, an argument like that makes sense, it's probably... Yes not it's not problem with him being intelligent because he's very intelligent it's that the argument is just so thin nice. even he can't make it work even the best uh, arguer can make an argument for it yeah yeah exactly so like but yeah that. no That's... sam harris if you want to come on our podcast we won't say yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't even talk we'll just let you talk yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just um, make sure to share <laughs> yeah um but uh but yeah so okay so i'm going to uh uh continue our c.s lewis binge and i'm <laughs> going to less um that hideous stray because oh, I will say because you know you talk about um you know how GK Chesterton and CS Lewis were making in orthodoxy and and mere Christianity are making their arguments for you know the necessity of morality and 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 things of sort of that Christians believe in 
and Abolish of Man is, is sort of C.S. Lewis taking those ideas further. And I would say kind of figuring out more how they apply um, to the history of the West and modern day uh, contemporary yeah. world uh, specifically. So he's like, okay, here's these principles I laid out. Now let's show how they can be a framework for understanding the world we live in. Yeah. In the book That Hideous Strength, which is the third book in the is is a sci-fi trilogy, but mm-hmm. it's really a standalone book. Also, absolutely, it's my is. favorite of the third. Um, that's where he takes those philosophical ideas and creates a story about them, a modern kind of his version of you know George Orwell's 1984 about sort of modern dystopian society of people of moral relativists and rationalists. Oh, um trying to impose that take that worldview seriously and impose it on the world and the, uh, the villains that he describes in abolition of man um who want to remake man in their own image um are the villains of that hideous strength and so um if you want to like again explore these ideas in a fictional setting of good versus evil and have yeah. somebody one of the greatest yes. you know ethical minds of the 20th century tell a story about that like that that's the book to read um, for that. Um, I will also give quick shout outs on the movie front to the um, the movie Trial at Nuremberg, which oh. was a, a a movie about the um, um, about the the tr- Nuremberg trials where they were actually ha- you know putting Nazis on trial and they had to make the argument of why these guys should be convicted when they didn't break any laws and they had to say. They had to argue that there is an objective moral law that they broke, mm-hmm. um, and so that mm-hmm. argument between the the and the people defending them had to you know defend you know um, cultural relativism and 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 such, and so that seeing those laid out in a a really extraordinary dramatization of of uh, of of these philosophical issues again is there brilliantly done and. I also brief shot. If you want to see the strongest entertaining movie case for moral relativism, you have to watch the movie "Thank You for Smoking," where the protagonist is a lobbyist for tobacco companies, <laughs> and, and they they really work hard to challenge people's sort of conventions of morality. I think in a healthy satirical way. So if you want to see the strongest kind of argument for that in a fine kind of funny movie, that's that's the good um, one to do. Um, I guess I also bless After Virtue since I talked about that. Again, if you want a really long book where it's like, okay, talk about the stuff we talked about today, that's a good one. Um, in terms of curses, I'm going to curse a couple things. One is I'm going to curse um, the uh, movie Me Before You, which, <laughs> which I know, Zach, well, you know, Dr. Zach, you you know that movie. And basically, you know, it's it, it, it involves a person who decides that you know they want want to die because they are you know paralyzed and they've built a Mm -hmm. whole flourishing life for themselves and with their loved ones people who love them and the thing is it's not even just that they decide to kill themselves but that the justification for it is that i'm the only one who knows what's best for me and this i think is going to make me the most happy Uh and so i'm going to do it even though knowing it's going to cause other people great pain yeah. There is there's the idea that though that doesn't matter because this is what I want. I, right. And and so I mean in some ways I think even the justification that they give in the movie is worse even than the choice that was made. Um and um I'm also gonna curse and I know people this is this is a sort of cheap shot, but I'm gonna curse um 
uh, the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan because um, the opening sequence is phenomenal, as it is. But the rest of it is Spielberg attempting to deal with hard ethical questions of when do you kill one person over another or not and such like that. And it's done in the most childish way possible. <laughs> the filmmaking not a philosopher, Joseph. I know, but he's crazy. But 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 he's acting like he's a philosopher, <laughs> and I, and and uh -huh. and, it's, and he's doing a terrible job. So um, I had one other one, but I think I'll just I'll leave it there because we've You'll done a lot it. of yeah. lessons. He's exactly, gotta save some curses. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, well, this is fantastic. Thank you so much, Doctor Zach, for coming on. Um, and uh, yes, uh, so if people want to get in touch with you and see your work and 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 support you and in, in stuff you're doing uh where can they go oh awesome yeah thank you guys for having me it's so much fun i love it um probably the best place to find me at the moment is just my own website which is zachary d um i i do um i do still write occasionally at an unexpected journal um, wow. I'm not serving as a managing editor anymore, but I'm still a huge supporter and it is still an amazing publication. I still write there regularly. So That's... I, um, recommend that, but yeah, most things will be on my, my website. I link out from there. So Zachary Dishmael.com. Awesome. Or you can go to college and become one of his students and then really get <laughs> your hood. <laughs> and that would be a lot of fun. I, I promise I'm really nice most of the time. <laughs> This is awesome. If you want to get in touch with the Overthinkers and engage with this community more, please head over to the Overthinkers private group on Facebook or go to theoverthinkersjournal.com and find out more about your hosts and send us any of your feedback on what you thought about today's episode, any of your agreements or disagreements, um, or any ideas you have for upcoming episodes you'd like to hear us talk ad nauseum about. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, you can search Nathan Clarkson on any of the socials. Or you can go to my website, nathanclarkson.me. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, josephholmstudios.com. You can also go to find me on any of the socials as well. You can also find my work critiquing film and culture at religionunplugged.com. I've had a lot of fun uh, writing for them. I also have an article on uh, Hollywood dystopias at relevant. Uh, magazine.com, which it was very excited about. Uh, Zach knows. He's been watching me try to get that article <laughs> published for a while. It's a very anyway, article. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, everyone, so much uh, for joining us. And thank you, of course, Dr. Jack Zach, for joining us. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. Mm -hmm.